Welcome to It's All in Your Head podcast. This is episode five, Healthy versus Unhealthy Relationships. I'm Michelle Walker, and I'm here with Tara Ray. So Tara, we, we've talked about how, as the pandemic happened, some of the things that we saw happening for people is they were in each other's presence a lot more than they wanted to be sometimes and their love relationships either got better or worse. Wouldn't you say that that's true? That is very true. Very yeah, true. and, I, and I, I've had a couple of situations where affairs that were happening came to light and that was not fun. And one client um, in particular who was having an affair you know, couldn't follow through with that whole situation. And, and actually I was kind of proud of him. We decided to stop the affair because realized that, you know, um, he preferred his wife, which I thought was great, you know, and was able to kind of just stop that thing. And, um, you know, some other things that I think have been in some ways really good some relationships that probably should have ended did. Yes. What are you seeing? The exact same thing, because you get the opportunity to see that person day in and day out. And a lot of people have reassessed their relationship in totality, whether or not they even should be together, like what you said, or if they were on the fence about making a decision they've made those decisions now and been very clear. Those that wanted to stay together have stayed and there are many people who have separated, but it was probably that they needed to separate. So if I were to say what defines in a broad sense, like a healthy versus an unhealthy relationship, I'm gonna just kind of throw a couple things out there and you can tell me what you think about this, but. One of the things I think is healthy versus unhealthy is if a person feels like they have to change their spouse, I think we're in trouble right there. Absolutely. If you're in a relationship feeling like you need to change your spouse, you know, how would you feel being in a relationship with someone who feels like they need to change you? You know, that, that would feel uncomfortable. Definitely. That's too much pressure, number one. But it brings to mind something that I talk about a lot and people's motivation for getting into relationships. Because sometimes people have a dream or a goal for their life. Like you think about those cut, like those cutouts on beaches where you can go and just put your face in there, but the family's already kind of there and formed. That's what a lot of people do with their lives. And all they're doing is taking someone and trying to fit their face into what they already have set out as the mold. And if that is what you're experiencing, then I think, yeah, that puts you in a definitely difficult spot. Yeah, and I, I see that when people, especially people who have some abandonment issues, they'll find somebody and fall in love and maybe that person doesn't fit with them or there's some really big red flags, but they're gonna change that person into what they want rather than let go and find the person that really honestly fits more of what they need. Mm -hmm. And so that's where you run into trouble of trying to change someone into who I want rather than going out and really finding what it is that I truly need in my life. And that would be the healthy versus unhealthy in my mind. What, what, what would you define it? 
I think the same way, but also looking very deeply into your motivation for getting into the relationship. And so I don't ever mind telling my story. Most people who know me know I've been divorced twice. I was actually divorced two times by before I turned 30. And each time that I got married, it was for very different reasons. And I don't know that love in the first two relationships had anything to do with it. Even though I loved the person, that had nothing to do with what motivated me to get into a relationship with them or to marry them. Yeah, and, and I've been married several times too, but mine had more to do with mental health issues. And so, and, and, my, and my, I had abandonment issues too. I think that I would find somebody and in order to not feel abandoned, I would try to change that person into being the right person. And so that's definitely the unhealthy part. So I remember being um, at a point in my life wondering why I couldn't keep these relationships together. And I went back to school, <clears throat> got my master's degree, became a counselor. And then the very first job that I had, I was asked to give couples workshops by Dr. John Gottman. And we've talked about Dr. Gottman. The reason why he is the person that most therapists refer to for couples information is because he's the only researcher that actually researched couples and he did it for many years because he kept getting a grant to cut to research couples at the university of washington so he just kept doing the research he never really put his research out there other than to the professional community um, and it never really was used much for a long time it wasn't until um, he and his wife actually put the research out there in a book called Seven Principles for Making Marriage Work, that his research started to get some traction. But I had to do give his uh, information to groups of couples. And I remember as I was you know, looking through the information and he'd watch some videos and he would be talking about what works and what doesn't. And I was thinking to myself, no wonder my relationships don't work. <laughs> <laughs> right there on the D but it was great eye-opening information because I gave those workshops twice a week for almost three years and then I met my husband and so I had all the information by the time I met my husband I just hadn't ever had any anybody to practice it on until I met him <laughs> <laughs> so but, um, go ahead I was gonna ask you so tell me through Dr. Gottman's work because I know like this is technical but still through his work what do you think were some of the most important principles to help you go from that unhealthy type of attaching in relationships to a more healthy attachment i think probably what i didn't understand is that there are definite rules in relationships things you absolutely just don't do and if you want your relationship to stay together he talks about what he calls the four horsemen of the apocalypse. And it's, it's a Bible reference that in the last days, there's going to be four horsemen coming out of the four corners of the earth before the apocalypse of the earth. Right. Mm -hmm. And so the four things are uh, criticism, uh, defensiveness, contempt, and stonewalling. Mm -hmm. 
So if I could get a little more specific for you on that one. Criticism creates defensiveness. So it becomes this cycle where one person criticizes and the other one defends. So it goes around and around in a circle. And then contempt is where one person feels like their view of the world is superior to the other person's. In other, in other words, my opinion of things is superior to your opinion of things, right? And usually he says it's accompanied by an eye roll. So one person is rolling their eyes at the other person's opinion, right? Mm -hmm. And then stonewalling is the fourth one. And that's where uh, people don't, they turn away from trying to talk their thing things out instead of uh, talking things out one person will turn away they'll stonewall thank you for joining us for it's all in your head podcast remember to subscribe like share and please comment whatever mental health questions you have we will be happy to answer them in future podcasts so he talks about the ways to get through that he has antidotes he calls it an antidote to these things and the antidote to criticism is to express what you need without using the word you. So instead of like saying, you know, to my husband, um, you leave your stuff all over the place. I could say something like, I feel uncomfortable when I see things left here or here, you know. Um, and instead of if somebody criticizes me, instead of getting defensive, I could just own a small part of what is being said. Like for, you know, Serge says to me, you know, you leave your dishes in the sink. I could say, yeah, sometimes I do. So just own a small part of it. Yeah, sometimes mm -hmm. I do do that, you know. Mm -hmm. And then contempt often has an air of superiority about it. And it's important to remember that there is no, there's no right or wrong view of the world it's just two different people's view of the world mm -hmm. and that we have to respect that i might see the world differently than serge sees the world but his view and my view are not superior to each other they're just different mm -hmm. you know that's a really tough one i think for couples i see that a lot where one person says well the right way is this well Absolutely. it is yeah or what you need to do is yeah. what you need to or do. if it was me i would i think all of that sounds the same it does it all sounds superior doesn't it mm -hmm. and it's important to help couples understand that and then the stonewalling thing is often about heart rate he says it's about when a person's heart rate gets above a certain beat per minute that really our bodies shut down and he says to use time out to get our bodies to calm down, that we really need to exit a conversation. But because people feel abandoned when someone walks out of a conversation, he says to really be careful to come back in about 20 minutes. And he says at least 20 minutes away is important. It takes that long for the body to calm down. That you come back and decide whether to keep discussing the issue or not. And so I think that was the most important uh, part for me. In fact, anytime I was tempted to say something mean, I would just imagine this little balloon shaped like a 90, like nine zero, you know, flip, mm -hmm. flapping in the wind because 90% of relationships will end if any of those four things are present in the communication style. So I would just imagine this little 90 flapping in the breeze. <laughs> anytime I was tempted to say something mean. <laughs>
<clears throat> I know when I'm talking to couples a lot, I talk about, you know, just making sure that you can build yourself up because, you know, mostly when I'm dealing in relationships, I'm talking to women and it's typically women who have not taken very good care of themselves and don't know where to start in that process. So that's usually where we start talking about making yourself the most important part of the equation or something I call eating the big piece of chicken because we've, we're always taught as women, we come last. Your children come first, your husband comes first, and then you get what's left over. And I kind of turn that upside down and say, you get yours first, because that teaches you to take care of yourself and put yourself first in these processes. Because if you are taken care of as the woman, the mom, the wife in the situation that more than likely, and really, I say 100% of the time, the people who are connected to you are also taken care of. So it's not selfish to take care of yourself, especially in relationships. And again, we go into relationships with different motivation. We should start talking about why we're getting into this thing. That's very important. I talk about communicating, very important, but it's not always the principal thing. It's how you communicate because sometimes we think the abundance of words is communication. It is not. It just means that you might have a better grasp of the English language than your partner or something like that. It doesn't mean that because you can use a lot of words, you're a better communicator. No, in fact, lecturing is not a communication style. It actually just shuts the other person down. Absolutely. Mm -hmm. And I say things like know the power of your no, we know what no means, no means no. And also in relationships, we know the power, know the power of your okay. And I almost mean that like the sarcastic okay, like okay. It just means that it doesn't necessarily mean I agree with you right now, but it means for the sake of peace, I'm going to let you have that, is what I say. Because sometimes when the emotions are high, you need that out. And just say, okay. And it hopefully can diffuse the situation long enough for you to get your thoughts together or to allow your partner to get their thoughts together so you can come back and have a more productive conversation about it. When I feel myself getting to the okay, that means that I, I'm at that point where you say, well, you think you're going to say something mean. <laughs> you just leave it alone. It's like, okay. Right. That's because that peace is more important. Yeah. Yeah. Well, because doctor, you know, because, and that's important because Dr. Gottman found that the majority of your issues can't be resolved. He found it was 69% of them can't be resolved. It's basic personality differences. So if you think about the 31% that can be resolved, that's not a lot. Mm -hmm. And so what we spend, those, those of us in a good, healthy marriage spend a lot of our time enhancing the parts that do work, which is only 31%, and then very delicately and respectfully dancing around the other 69% that don't work. Mm -hmm. you know? And I think that it, that's the art and balance of it, is how do I respectfully dance around the parts that don't? And I was thinking about this the other day because <clears throat> it's things like this, like in order to keep the peace, 
we have these subtle little hints and things that I think couples do. Like for instance, I'm really terrible about putting my dishes in the dishwasher. I mean, we've been together, we've been married for over 11 years and together for 13. And I still am, am bad about putting my dishes in the dishwasher. But hold on a sec. <clears throat> and so what will happen is, Serge just kind of gently leaves the dishwasher open. <laughs> you know, like we'll be in the kitchen and he'll just kind of open the dishwasher, you know, and that's his hint <laughs> that the dishwasher's here, you know. And it does remind me that I can just put my dishes right in the dishwasher. And he does stuff like that rather than start an argument. He just hints, you know. And I know that if, if I give him a, a, a bunch of stuff that I need done, that maybe one or two of it is going to get done. And there are several that won't. And I'll have to remind him over and over and over again. And it, it's frustrating. But that's how it is. And that's how it has always been. And I just know that's how it is. But there are other things, such as the fact that he has a, an amazing sense of humor. And I literally laugh out loud every day of my life. And being able to laugh out loud every day of your life has value, you know? Absolutely. And so you just take the things that have value and you as gently as possible, dance around the things that are a little irritating. And that's what a good relationship is, recognizing that those things will get slightly better over time, but they're never going to completely resolve, mm -hmm. you know? And that's the nature of a good relationship versus an unhealthy one. In an unhealthy one, there's way too much focus on the things that don't work and there's an unrealistic expectation that this other person should be exactly who I think they should be. And they should be it on my time frame, mm -hmm. not, you know, not theirs, right? Mm -hmm. Would you say that's a good explanation of it? It is, it is. because I, I often say this, and especially from the spiritual side of things too, I say that the hardest thing God has ever commanded us to do is for two people to become one because that's what marriage is is described like in in the bible but the other thing that i say is my marriage got better when i stopped trying to make david be what i wanted him to be and just let him be what god wanted him to be i don't have a choice over who he is that is his choice sometimes it's hard in the moment to keep that as the focus but that is the reality he gets to be who it is God has commissioned him to be. And it has nothing to do with who it is I want him to be, if that makes sense. Exactly. That's what I'm talking about, where we keep trying to turn somebody on my time frame into who I want them to be. And that becomes unhealthy. And you see people argue and fight over that thing. When in reality, if you just took that little 31% of resolvable issues and enhanced it and enhanced it and enhanced it for, and made it everything, you know, you could just, just enjoy it. it it's never going to get better than that. According to Dr. Gottman's research, you're never going to be more compatible than that with anybody on the planet. 
And that's because there are too many variables, even two people growing up in the same home don't experience the same things the same way. And we all develop our personalities in such a different way that you're never going to be more compatible with anybody in that way. So you're always going to be unhappy if you're going to look for the differences, you know? So look for those similarities and that's what creates the, the healthiness. And so, but there are ways to come closer together with those things that don't work. And that was the coolness I think that helped me a lot was finding out through Dr. Gottman's uh, research that if you talk about meaning instead of about issues, that you get closer to a resolution. And what I mean by that is, like if you're talking about money, which Dr. Gottman has a, in his videos, he has a example there, a couple's talking about money and they're fighting about money. And the deal is, is that he takes all their extra money and he goes and he spends it on skydiving and paragliding and rock climbing, all kinds of adventures, right? And she takes all their extra money when she gets a hold of it and she hides it in an account without his name on it. So they come into the office and they are fighting about money. According to Dr. Gottman, this has nothing to do with money. It has to do with what money means to each person. Mm -hmm. So he talks to the man and he says, what does money mean to you? And he says, well, money means that I have the freedom to experience as many things as I want to. Well, now he has to find out why that's important. So he has to ask him about his history. Okay, so what is your history with that? Why do you need to experience as many things as you can? And he says, well, when I was 16, I got in a car accident and I almost died. And in that moment, I made a decision. I would experience as much of life as I could because I never knew when it would end. Mm -hmm. and, all, and it made me feel like I had to experience as much as I could of life. So that was his history and his meaning. So then he asks her, what does money mean to you? And she says, money means security. It means that I'll never have people taking care of me. I'll always be able to take care of myself. Well, what's your history with that? And she says, well, my parents are in their 70s and they still have to work and, and all of their kids have to give them money and I am never going to be like that. And that's her meaning and her history, right? So you can see how these two people, it's not about money that they're fighting. They're fighting about their meaning. Mm -hmm. And so if you can talk about meaning together, each person begins to understand the other a little bit better. And he says that over time, the two of them talking about that meaning of money, they were able to find a compromise over time that both could live with. And so that was important to me because the differences that I have with my husband when we talk about what it means to each of us, we can find a different kind of compromise. Mm -hmm. So that's been really helpful too. I call that finding the theme. So the theme. yeah, theme. we might think it's a particular issue, but as we, as we look deep into it, it's not an issue so much as what that issue means to that person. So, that's what I'm always encouraging people. Okay, yes, you told me that upset you. What is the theme? What's the underlying meaning? What triggered you about what was said or what happened? 
And then also talking to people about impact versus, versus intent is very important. Your intention may not have been to do something that was an affront to your partner, but the impact was that that's actually what happened. Or I'll say, if you step on my toe and I say, ouch, you cannot look at me and tell me that did not hurt. You've got to accept from me my experience based on what happened. I love that. I love that. I hadn't even thought of that myself. To have each person own how your behavior has impacted me, mm -hmm. even though that wasn't your intent. Mm -hmm. Hello, everyone. And again, thank you for joining us for It's All In Your Head podcast. This is episode five, and we are talking about healthy versus unhealthy relationships. Michelle and I both have experience. Maybe we'll get into our experiences more. Maybe we won't. I'm loving talking about the science. So maybe that's even more uh beneficial for us at this point but also we have to talk about key components that should definitely be in marriages and in relationships i know some people are offended but when i'm doing couples counseling and i'm talking to my clients we are always talking about the need for having a healthy sex life in our relationships so i just want to put that out there and let's jump into it a lot of times when people are having struggles in their relationship, the first thing to go is the sex life. So I encourage people in relationships to make sure they are having sex. It's very important to your relationship. It has all kinds of really psychological and physical benefits. So Michelle, when I say that, what, what do you think about? No, I absolutely agree with you. Intimacy is extremely important. And it's a question I always ask people, how is your intimacy? And if they start telling me, well, we're not, we're not being intimate, that just like you, I tell them, then let's fix that. What can we do to fix that? And just, just jumping into it is sometimes a fix. Because people get uncomfortable and they're like, oh my gosh, my therapist said we should be having sex. Yes, your therapist said you should be having sex. And it's still taboo and maybe not the good girl conversation in people's minds, but it's so important that we do discuss that because it's, a, it's part of life. It's the reality. And many people start this grass is greener on the other side thing. No, old people used to say it's a snake in every garden. So we want to make sure that we're encouraging people to fix what they have or try to fix it if it's fixable before they jump to go and try and do something else. Another thing that I think about is commitment. Most times relationships, and I, I heard a pastor say this, the thing that makes people stay married 50, 60, 70 years is not so much, oh, the love that they have and all of these different things is their commitment to the process. If you can be committed to the process of marriage and continuing to have a healthy marriage or a healthy relationship, you can make it work. I, I'm, I am team marriage, I'm team relationship, I'm team love always, even though I've been divorced a couple of times, I am team love, team marriage, team healthy relationship. And I say all the time, it's time out for people to be giving up their relationships. If you have to, I understand, but usually I'm always erring on the side of, if you can make it work, 
let's talk about the things you can put in place to make it work. Yeah, I have to agree with you on that. I think the happiest that I've been has been in my long-term committed relationship and knowing how to keep it that way in a good, healthy way. And what's helped me to keep it that way has been knowing that there are things that I can do to keep it healthy. Because like you said, it can't stay committed and if it's not healthy because mm -hmm. unhealthy things just automatically end. Mm -hmm. And so if we can keep it healthy and long-term and committed and what keeps it that way is sometimes people have to do these touch-ups. You know, there are periods in a relationship that need touch-ups somewhere between about seven and 10 years, people find that they do a readjustment and somewhere again, when kids are teenagers, Marriages go through these really unhappy times when your kids are teenagers. So somewhere between about 20, 20 years and 25 years into a marriage, sometimes it can get really unhappy and people will go back to counseling and do some readjusting. And then again, when kids leave home, um, sometimes marriages can do some readjusting then too. And so it's not uncommon for people to go and have counseling and readjust and kind of rework things at times. It's, it's okay. Just let it happen, you know, just do some readjusting. And I think that's important because when you have two people who might likely not agree, you should have someone else that you can go to to kind of help be the deciding factor. I always tell people, especially Christian people, when we're doing Christian counseling as it relates to marriage, that the word of God has to be the deciding factor. It should never be two people left to their own devices because it's not going to work. You don't have someone who can come in and be that deciding for that deciding voice for you. You've got to include someone else. Not that you tell everybody all the ins and outs and all the things in your relationship because you still want to help to cover your partner. There's a scripture in the Bible that I love that says love covers a multitude of sins and in some versions of the Bible or false. And if you love your partner, you naturally want to cover those things for them, not to a point where it's unhealthy, but to a point where you allow them kind of that cocoon to grow or that soft place to land when they're having difficulty. And I, I'll say this all the time. If you can be naked in front of a person, you can be vulnerable with that person. Most people are, I'm not vulnerable. I'm, no, you should be able to do that. That should be part of the process so that you know you have that soft place to land with inside of your marriage and with your partner. I haven't thought about that before. So if you can be physically naked, you can be emotionally naked with them too. Absolutely. Absolutely. Yeah. Sometimes we get that backwards. It's like, no, you can definitely. That should, you should make sure. I wouldn't feel comfortable. If I couldn't feel comfortable with you handling my emotions, I shouldn't feel comfortable with you handling my body. Mm -hmm. I like it. I like it. There's an income on the negative, then we can kind of screw up with them every now and then. And it's absorbed by this good, positive feeling that we have. So in other words, we have a little bit of a cushion of positivity, right? But if we pick out more of the negative with someone than the positive, then the opposite happens. Then all of the negative things kind of get over, over enhanced, right? 
-hmm. And so we create what Dr. Gottman calls the positive regard in our relationships by being more positive than negative. In fact, a five to one ratio is what he felt. I mean, of course, he's, he's a scientist, so he's going to study it that way. But just being more positive than negative. And that way, it's easier to be vulnerable. And we can kind of screw up every now and then, and it'll still be absorbed by the positivity. Thank you again for joining us for episode five of It's All In Your Head podcast. And remember, mental health matters. And if you don't deal with your stuff, it's going to deal with you. Bye-bye. Bye.